morning and welcome to our service here in Bigger Kirk. If you're new, please do get in contact with me. If you're at home, you can look on the description to the video. My contact details are there. If you're here in the church, well, you can talk to me or look at the, the signboard, the church signboard. My number's on there. Do get in touch so that we can make you wel- welcome in our church family here. We Protestants don't make much of Saints' Day, but did you know that yesterday was the feast of St. Julian of Norwich? I only know because it came up in my daily devotions on Lectio 365. Julian was a mystic, so she had visions. God gave Julian lots of pictures in her mind's eye to help her to understand him better. And one of Julian's pictures that I heard about on Lectio, I found really helpful. I think that often when we come to worship, the picture in our mind's eye is that we're coming before a throne. God is up here and that we are all down there, that we approach him as we would a king with some fear and some trepidation. Now, that is a picture that we have in the Bible. That is a true picture of God, and it's an important picture. God is a king. He is high and lifted up. He is holy, and we are not. But God is also a gracious host. And one of the pictures that Julian had was of God's banquet, which we also find in the Bible. In Julian's mind, God wasn't seated, in in this picture in Julian's mind, God wasn't seated at the top table at this banquet being served, but God, the gracious host, was doing the rounds. He was going to everyone in the room. He was greeting them. He was joking with them. He was making sure that they had everything they needed and felt welcome. I wonder if we can imagine God doing that with us here this morning. If you're here in the building or at home, please know that God, the gracious host, welcomes you. He's asking after you. He's asking after your family and your friends. He's there to give you a big hug. And he's filling your glass to the brim as you come into his presence. Let's praise the God of Julian's vision, our gracious host, with our first hymn, which is the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. If you're here in the building, of course, you can't sing, but you can stand. Let's stand as we hear this hymn. Streams of mercy never ceasing. 
God in prayer. Let's pray together. Lord God, you are the source of every blessing. Thank you for the obvious supernatural blessings, for healings, for your miraculous interventions coming suddenly and seemingly from nowhere. Thank you for answers to prayer. Thank you, too, for the mundane blessings that we often take for granted. Lord, help us to nurture the discipline of gratitude. Help us to recognize your hand in every good gift. Help us us to see blessings that sometimes come disguised as challenges or even disappointments. Lord, we stand on the fact that you are a good, good father and that you only give what is ultimately good to to your children. Lord, be pleased to stand among us this morning in your risen power. Open our eyes to see you at work, our ears to hear your voice, and our hands to reach out to you and to one another in love and service. We pray now the prayer you, Jesus, taught to all those who would come and follow you. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. 
Amari is going to come and read God's word for us this morning. Verse 17 through to chapter 2, verse 10. Jonah's prayer. Now the Lord provided a huge ship, huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Reading from the New Testament from the book of Matthew, um, chapter 12, verse 38 to 41, and this is entitled, The Sign of Jonah. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now, something greater than Jonah is here. Thanks be to God for his word. Thank you, Mari. When I was thinking about what to say in a children's talk about Jonah, I looked at a couple of cartoon videos, because that's the easiest way to do a children's talk. One of them was entitled, Heroes of the Bible. And the other told the story of Jonah, but ended the story only after chapter 3. So I wasn't satisfied with either of these videos. The thing is that Jonah's not really a hero in this story. And to get the whole story, you've got to look at the whole story, especially the end bit of the book of Jonah. Jonah definitely is not a hero. God tells Jonah at the beginning of the story uh, that God is concerned for the Ninevites and he wants Jonah to go and preach to the Ninevites so that they will turn away from their wicked ways and be saved from disaster. 
God wants Jonah to go to Nineveh. What? The Ninevites are a cruel and heartless people. They destroyed Israel and they took God's people into slavery. How could God be concerned for the Ninevites, Jonah asks. So Jonah gets on a boat to run or to sail away from God and to sail away from the thing that God has asked him to do, which is to go to Nineveh and preach to the Ninevites. Jonah, I think, was, amongst other things, jealous. He was jealous that God cared about the Ninevites. I wonder if you've ever been jealous. To my shame, I have, at times in my life, been jealous and very jealous. There's a picture of me when I was six or seven. I'm the one in the, uh, the velour shirt. Do you remember velour? <laughs> With the red hair. My hair colors changed a bit. That's when I was living in Virginia. And my grandma Hazel came to visit. Grandma Hazel lived a long way away. So we didn't see her very much. And a visit from Grandma Hazel was something special. It was something that I, for one, was really looking forward to. I was looking forward to my grandma spoiling me. I was looking forward to her maybe bringing me lots of presents. I was looking forward to her maybe being really impressed by all the things that I could do and how clever I was at, a six, at the age of six or seven. Now, the day Grandma Hazel arrived, my friend Billy was there playing with me at home. Billy was my best friend. Billy had every Hot Wheel that you could think of. Do you remember Hot Wheels? <laughs> and Billy liked playing with G.I. Joes as much as I did. I don't know if you've got G.I. Joes here, but uh, we loved to play with these dolls that were fighting men. Grandma Hazel really liked Billy, too. And in my mind, I think that, well, I was thinking at the time that Grandma Hazel liked Billy too much. Even after Billy had left to go home, Grandma Hazel kept saying to me, what a nice friend you have, Mike. And how polite Billy is. You see, where Billy and I grew up in the south of the U.S., when you met an older person, you always said, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, or yes, sir, and no, sir. And Grandma Hazel was a northerner. She came from Indiana, and they didn't talk like that. Where she came from, kids just said, yeah, or nah, to whoever they were talking to. To Grandma Hazel, Billy was really impressive he was a little southern gentleman. But I, I was jealous. Why wasn't Grandma Hazel impressed with me as a little southern gentleman? And where were the presents I thought she was going to bring? She didn't bring any at that time. I was so jealous that I got angry. I was jealous of Billy. I wasn't 
angry at grandma, but I was angry at my friend Billy, my best friend. And the next time I went to his house to play, we had a flaming row, and I left in a huff. And sadly, I don't think I ever played with Billy again. I lost a friend. And it wasn't Grandma Hazel's fault, and it wasn't Billy's fault. Grandma was just being kind to Billy, and she was complimenting me by the choice of friend that I had. And Billy, Billy was just being polite to an older person, and he was trying to be a good friend to me by being polite to my grandmother. I lost a friend, and it wasn't Grandma's fault, and it wasn't Billy's fault. It was all my fault, all because I was jealous. Jealousy can be a terrible thing. It is sometimes called the green-eyed monster. It's a bit like Mike Wazinski. Is that his name in Monsters, Inc.? In our Bible story, Jonah is jealous. And the mess that Jonah almost makes because of his jealousy is even bigger than the mess I made with Grandma Hazel and my friend Billy. In the Bible story, God saves the Ninevites despite Jonah and despite his jealousy. God is that good. God will always do what God needs to do. And at the end of the story, in chapter 4, God comes to find Jonah. And he comes to find him, to explain to him why he cared so much for the Ninevites. And why Jonah was so wrong to be jealous. And at the end of the book, we don't know if Jonah listened to God and changed his mind or kept on on being bitter and jealous. Let's hope that Jonah did change his mind. Jealousy is a terrible thing. It can lose your friends, and it can make life a misery, and it's never how God wants us to be. We're going to listen to another song now. The song is Great is the Darkness. Let's stand as we listen.
Let's pray together as we turn to reflect on God's word. Yes, Lord, we ask you to pour out your spirit on us as we prepare for better things tomorrow and the next day and into your future. Lord, make us hopeful people. Shape us into the people that you want us to be daily as we walk with you, as we turn to look at your face and at your word. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. As I said to the children, Jonah was no hero. Indeed, there are few heroes in the Bible. All of the characters from Adam to Abraham, from David to Jeremiah and the Apostle Paul, from Ruth to Rahab and even the Virgin Mary, they all had their character flaws. Some, like David, had pretty major flaws. And Jonah, like all these characters, is in the Bible, not necessarily so that we can follow Jonah's example. But this book that features Jonah was written to help us learn about God, to learn about God as Jonah himself wrestles with the surprising character of God. Tim Keller speaks of reading Jonah with a number of non-Christian artists, and one of them later became a Christian, and she said that she was surprised at the character that she found here in the book of Jonah, the character of God. She, like many who have never really read the Bible, had assumed that the story would be melodramatic and predictable that God would either be all fiery judgment or all warm and fuzzy, like you are expecting him to be. But the God of the Bible is neither those two things. Like the real person that he is, God is often unpredictable. And as in any relationship, As you spend time with God in reading his word and in prayer and in struggling along the narrow path with him every day, you realize more surprising facets of God's character that you never knew before. Knowing about someone and knowing someone are are two very different things. Jonah, being a prophet of God, certainly knew about God. But Jonah wrestled with knowing God. Maybe like many of us, Jonah wanted God to be more like himself. Maybe like many of us, Jonah wanted God to think and behave like he thought and behaved. Or at least Jonah wanted God to think and behave as Jonah wanted him to. Jonah, with perhaps most of the Israelite population in his day, wanted God to be exclusively on their side. Jonah, uh, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. 
and Assyria was Israel's bitter enemy. Surely God should hate the Assyrians. But surprisingly, at the beginning of the story of the book of Jonah, God asked Jonah to go to Nineveh so that the Ninevites might hear the word of God and repent and be saved. Now there, God does acknowledge the wickedness of the Ninevites. But God also shows his compassion on them. And sure enough, later in chapter 4, when Jonah gets angry at God for saving the Ninevites, this is what Jonah says. He says to God, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish, the saving of the Ninevites. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah wanted God to be full of fiery judgment. Jonah knew that God was compassionate, but that was not what Jonah wanted him to be, at least not towards the Ninevites. And Jonah's perspective is understandable. He saw what the Ninevites had done. He saw the destruction and the pain that these enemies of his had brought. Jonah naturally wanted justice. Jonah is deeply disappointed in God, and, and so he runs. But Jonah doesn't get far. Jonah tells the sailors on the ship that God, his God, is the God of all the seas and all the dry land. There is nowhere one can go to get away from a God like that. Showing us again that Jonah knew about God but he was still finding it hard to accept what he knew of God and to come to terms with it, to come to terms with him. As Jonah runs, God comes after him, comes after his own prophet with what appears to be the fiery judgment that Jonah longed he would pour out on the Ninevites. God causes a great storm to arise. And the ship in which Jonah is sailing is threatened with breaking up. Sailors are distressed. Angry Jonah, however, is fast asleep in the hold. Maybe, and most probably, Jonah knows that God is after him. But Jonah shuts his eyes and his ears. He doesn't want to know. The sailors discover that Jonah and his rebellion against God are the cause of the storm. And so re reluctantly they toss Jonah overboard and the sea is suddenly stilled. This is where we come to our passage this morning that Mari so kindly read for us. Jonah sinks in the deep, presumably to his peril. But the Bible says God provides a huge fish to swallow him. And it's here that Jonah has a change of 
heart. Not a permanent change of heart, mind you. Like most of us, Jonah's story is one of both ups and downs, two steps forward and three steps backwards. That's probably why I like Jonah. He's a lot like me. But at this point in the belly of the fish, through very strange circumstances, who would have thought that a man-eating fish is actually the means of Jonah's salvation? Here he is in the belly of the fish, unable to move, and Jonah gives up running. He gives up pushing against God, and he gives in. Jonah's prayer from the belly of the fish is a prayer of what we call repentance. Jonah confesses that he can and will no longer run. In verses 8 and 9, it sounds as if Jonah is looking down on the pagans like the sailors on the ship who have just thrown him into the sea. But I think what is happening here is that Jonah, good orthodox Jonah, realizes that he was not letting God be God in his life. It was Jonah who was clinging to a worthless idol. Jonah was clinging to his own estimation of what God should be and what God should do. And here in the belly of the fish, Jonah finally relents. He praises God. And he submits to letting God be God and letting God do what God will do and him submitting to doing what God asks him to do. Just an aside, I like that last verse. God spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. It's not the vomiting bit that I'm impressed with. It's that God spoke to a fish. (laughs) God, the sovereign Lord, can even speak the language of fish. What does... Jonah and this experience in the belly of the fish have to do with Jesus and the resurrection that we're meant to be looking at in this series. Why does Jesus over in our passage from Matthew say that it is the sign of Jonah that will be given to his generation? As with most passages of scripture, there are lots of things going on here There are loads of layers of meaning and connections with bits of scripture from lots of different places. But the most obvious thing that is going on is that Jesus is saying that he is a better Jonah. He says it there in the passage, something greater than Jonah is here. How does Jesus prove to be greater than Jonah? Well, obviously, in so many ways, Jesus is a better Jonah. Unlike Jonah, Jesus let God be God. I think that's the most important thing. Jesus lived in a perfect relationship with God, his Father. And Jesus had a relationship that was open and responsive to God 24-7. 
Jesus knew about God, but he also knew God as his Father. And that is the point of contrast here between Jesus and Jonah. Jesus was in the grave as Jonah was in the belly of the fish. However, Jesus and Jonah do the same thing. Unable to move, unable to do for himself, Jesus, like Jonah, submitted to God. And the words at the end of Jonah's prayer could have been the words of Jesus. I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. Isn't that what Jesus is doing? What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Just as Jonah's emerging from the fish brought salvation to the Ninevites, so with Jesus, but even at a greater extent, Jesus' resurrection from the tomb after three days brought salvation to all those who will trust in him. This, according to Jesus, is the sign of Jonah, given not just to Jesus' generation, but to every generation since. Jonah's sojourn in the belly of the fish and his reappearance after three days and three nights is a shadow of what God would do in Christ, not just for one city, but for the whole world, for all those who would put their trust in him, not just in one generation, but in every generation from that time, from the time before and the time after. Resurrection life is also what God gives to us through Christ. It's what we are living when we trust in Christ. And Jonah, I think, is a picture of what resurrection life might look like for many of us, especially for me. I find that I am a lot like Jonah. I like to think that I know something about God. And I like to hold on confidently to what I think I know about God. That's only natural. But like Jonah, I certainly know more about God than I know God himself. And life for me, like it was for Jonah, is about constantly having God graciously come to me and change my mind and teach me more and reveal himself to me. In the Bible, changing one's mind about God, about the world, and about yourself is called repentance. Jewish people celebrate repentance annually in the feast called Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. And it's the tradition in synagogues to ask a non-Jew to come and preach from the book of Jonah on Yom Kippur. I think this is a recognition that the book of Jonah is full of surprises about God. It is the non-Jewish fishermen in the first half of the book and the Ninevites in the second 
part of the book, who show a better knowledge of God than Jonah, God's own prophet. Jewish tradition recognizes that there's a possibility that others outside of their own community, therefore, might have something vital to teach them. And Yom Kippur is the day for listening to those voices. For us, like for Jonah, there are times when God sends strange things to help us. A storm, or a fish, or a worm, a foreign sailor, or a despised enemy. God sends these odd things Jonah's way and our way. And at first, we, like Jonah, might think of them as a curse. But sometimes they're the only way that God can get through to us. I know in my own life, there are times when because of circumstances where I feel I can't move, like being in the belly of a fish, that I'm brought to a place where I can say, as Jonah said, I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say at this point, salvation can only come from the Lord. I wonder today if you might be feeling a bit like Jonah was feeling in the belly of the whale, trapped by something that's happening to you, trapped by this pandemic, perhaps, trapped by a relationship that you feel is going nowhere, words you've said to someone that you can't take back, words they said to you that cut so deep. Maybe you're feeling trapped like Jonah, there's something that you know God has asked you to do and you need to do it. There's no other way. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you that you pursue us. Thank you that you pursue us on dry land and in the deepest of seas. Thank you that you pursue us in ordinary circumstances and in times of crisis. Thank you that your compassion towards us is unfailing and unrelenting. May we, like Jonah, come to see even the belly of a fish as the place where we can and will, where you can and you will meet us, where you can and you will turn us around. Help us, Lord, to be open to you revealing yourself more and more to us as we walk along with you, as we live as the Easter people of Jesus. For we pray in his name.
listen to a reflective song, you can keep seated. Here is love. Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood. When the prince of life, my ransom, shed for us his precious blood, who his love will not remember, who can see. To sing his praise He can never be forgotten To our tens eternal day On the mounts of crucifixion Fountains open deep and wide To the floodgates of God's mercy Flowed a vast and gracious tide Grace and love like mighty rivers Poured in sin from above And hence peace and perfect justice kissed our guilty world in love in your truth you do direct me by your spirit to your word and your grace my need is meeting as I trust in you, my Lord. Of your fullness you are pouring your great love and power on me. Without measure, full and boundless, drawing out my heart to of your fullness you are pouring your great love and power on me without measure full and boundless drawing out my heart to thee We would normally have our offering now, but we, we can't do that in these pandemic times. But I do appreciate all the ways that people continue to give to support the church and to give to other causes as part of our worship as Christian people. One of the things we here in Bigger have done for a number of decades is to support Christian Aid, a very worthy cause that helps not just people in our country, but people overseas, not just giving a handout, but giving a hand up. 
helping with development as well as relief for disaster situations. This coming week is Christian Aid Week. And normally we would go around the houses with those little red envelopes, put them through the doors, and then go back and pick them up again. But obviously we can't do that because you're passing things from people to people, and we're not doing that during this pandemic time. So we've had to change gear a bit. We still are going to have Christian Aid Week, and we still would like people to give. We encourage people in our community to give, and you as the congregation to give as well. If you can get online on our Facebook page, you'll find a link to the e-envelope, the electronic envelope this year, not a little red paper envelope, but an electronic one, and you can give online. If you've got a credit card, then you can put your credit card details on there. Um, If you don't have uh, the internet, and you're going to the Gillespie Center this week, you can give there. Hopefully there'll be a box there, but at every table there will be what they call a QR code, and you can take your phone, take a picture, and that would take you to the place where you can make a donation to Christian Aid. So because of this pandemic, we're having to uh, do things more technologically this year than we ever had before. Next Sunday, we're going to have an extravaganza Christian aid um, service. Um, I'm so thankful to Emma, who's going to be leading us, but lots of other people are going to be participating in that service. So do tune in next week and and come to, to church next week for our Christian aid service. But before that, on Saturday... We're going to have a Christian aid quiz online on Zoom at 4 p.m. And it's family friendly. Um, Everyone is welcome. You'll get the Zoom link through an email that we'll send out probably today. But there will also be, you'll be able to find the link on our Facebook page as well. So do come along to that as a way of also supporting Christian aid. Let's pray together. Faithful Father, thank you that you give the gift of abundant eternal life. You have said that you are a good Father who gives us good gifts. And your generosity overflows to us. Everything we have is a gift from you. And so we bring our offerings to you We give back to you from the abundant blessings you have given us. May all our gifts of money and labor and life, because of your grace poured onto them, be made acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our God and our Redeemer. hope of hopes, God of new life, of resurrection. We come before you once again in this Easter season, our hearts rejoicing in you. And yet, despite our joy and hope, we feel the darkness all around us. 
God, may we know your healing presence in that darkness. And may your light shine in and through us. Lord God, comfort and strengthen us that we may be beacons of your light to those around us. Mysterious one, you walk among us. But we do not always recognize you in our midst. Open our eyes to you. Open our ears and our hearts that we may see you at work in our midst through our neighbors, in our community. Source of all power. We pray for our leaders and the leaders of the world at large, especially our newly elected leaders in our parliament, that they too may recognize you in unexpected places. That instead of vying for power, they may strive to work with and for their constituents. That they might recognize the value of life of people near and far. And today we especially pray for the leaders in India as they lead folks in the daunting task of responding to this pandemic and reimagining and rebuilding lives when this is finally over. Maker of the universe, as the world around us burst into life and color, we rejoice in your creation. Help us to be good stewards of our home, the earth. this home that we so often take for granted. May we with awe and wonder care for your creation, the land, the water, the air that sustain and nourish us. God, source of comfort and peace, we ask that you be with all those who suffer today We lift up those who have lost loved ones through illness, old age, disaster, or violence. We pray especially for those struggling against injustice in Myanmar. People in the Middle East whose lives are punctuated by war and unrest. We ask for your comfort and peace in the face of the fear, anger, and grief of loss. Light of the world, you you hear all our prayers, those spoken aloud and those whispered only in the silence of our hearts. We ask you to cast your light upon us. For you are our gracious and compassionate God. And in your name we pray. Amen. This last week I got to go to a conference. 
um, it was, as all conferences are these days, a, a virtual one. I was on my computer once again. Um, it was the leadership conference of the Alpha Movement. For the last uh, three years, I've gone to this conference. It's been a huge encouragement for me. The first year, I went to London to participate. It was at the Albert Hall. It was just amazing to be there with thousands of other people worshiping God. Um, and then the year after that, it was in Edinburgh, another great experience. But this year, it was online. And uh, they've produced a wonderful song that sort of sums up where we are in the world at the moment and the hope that we have as Christian people in our Savior and our Lord. It's a mashup of the song he's got the whole world in his hands and other songs as well, but it's really encouraging. And I'd like to share the video with you now. He's got the whole in his hands. He's got the whole in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Sari dunia ko usne thama hai. You're near me and you're for me. My 
Let's stand to receive God's blessing. Brothers and sisters, go into this week and let God surprise you. But know that whatever surprise you find, whether in the words of a friend, in the smile of an enemy, or in the belly of a fish, God is still good and he is still guiding you. In the words of Julian, all things will be well and all manner of things will be well. In the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest and remain with us all evermore. feeling you're in the belly of a fish at the moment, I'd like to pray with you.